All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. Uh, before I dive in, let's celebrate Easter a little bit. Uh, last weekend, at all of our campuses, we had 52,225 people attend. That's an Easter record for our church. If you think about Wyzetta, for, Wyzetta didn't exist. Hold on, it's going to get better. I'll let you clap at the end. Otherwise, you just keep clapping the whole time. I get annoyed. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you think about Wyzetta, Wyzetta didn't exist about a month ago. And this past weekend on Easter, they had over 2,000 people that were out there. Then last weekend, we had 561 decisions to follow Jesus Christ. That was kids, that was students, that was adults. And really one of the most moving parts of the service happened after the service, which is when many of you walked across that bridge. And some of you walked across because you were giving your life to Christ, and some of you walked across because you were forgiving another person or rededicating your life to Christ. But when we planned that, we weren't sure anybody was going to walk across. And it was very emotional to watch at some services hundreds of you uh, walk across that bridge. So let's celebrate what God did uh, this past Easter. All right, well, as you saw from that video, we are beginning a brand new series today called Seven Words That Can Change Your Life. And here's really the big idea of this series. One word can change your life. And often it's the most simple words that are the most impactful in a person's life. That's what today's word is like. Today's word is yes. Do you realize that most of the important moments in your life have been preceded by this word yes? That when you looked at the driving instructor and you said, did I pass? You heard? Yes, most of you heard that. Some of you, I can't imagine you hearing that from the way you drive. But for most of you, you heard the word yes. When you asked that guy or that girl out and they said yes. When your real estate agent said, are you going to buy the house? And you said yes. Are you going to take the job offer? Yes. Are you pregnant? Yes. Are the Vikings going to win the Super Bowl? Most of the important moments of your life, certainly not all of them, but most of them have been preceded by this word, yes. I've told this story before, but my wife needs to be reminded from time to time, so bear with me. But on October 18th, 2001, I asked Sarah to marry me. But my proposal was a little bit unconventional. I rented a U-Haul truck, and I filled up the back with 50 red roses, a couch, candles, and pictures of Sarah and me. In retrospect, it looked a little bit like a Hindu shrine to Sarah. Let's kind of picture that in your mind. And the way it was going to work was my roommates were going to pick her up in this U-Haul truck, and she was going to ride in the back while they took her on a scavenger hunt of our relationship. I can't believe I had her ride in the back of a U-Haul truck. That's a college student's version of a limo. You know, I'm like, there's a couch back there. It's extremely luxurious. That was kind of how I would think as a college student. But they picked her up, and they would take her to significant places in our relationship. And when she was there, she would get a clue that would bring her to the next stop. So, for example, one of the stops was at PV Plaza in downtown Minneapolis. I had one of my other roommates there dressed up as a street person, and he was playing the guitar. And he was playing Sarah and my song on the guitar, which I'm a little bit embarrassed to say was Phil Collins' It's a Groovy Kind of Love. <laughs> that was our song. 
There was a couple other stops along the way, and then the final stop was at some docks off of Lake Minnetonka. And I was standing down at the end of this dock. We had gone there on several dates. And my roommates dropped her off, and Sarah went running down this kind of winding dock. And as she did, my roommates drove over to the beach off of Lake Minnetonka, and they shot fireworks off over the lake. And so after we got done watching this fireworks show, I quoted from Psalm 37, verse 4, which says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I said, Sarah, I have been delighting in the Lord. You are the desire of my heart. I said, will you marry me? Bam! Huh? That's kind of a pretty good proposal, wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah, thank you. Uh, but it, what if she had said no? I mean, that would have been pretty disappointing, wouldn't it? That would have been a whole lot of work for nothing. But here's the deal. I knew that she was going to say yes. She had been dropping me little hints for several months where she would say things like, when are you finally going to propose? You know, very, very subtle little hints. And so I knew before I even asked her that she was going to say yes. In the second letter that Paul writes to the people of Corinth, the Corinthians, he says these words in chapter one. He says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, and then he kind of shares who the us is. He says, it's me, it's Silas, it's Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. Now, what, what does he mean by that? What he means is that when God thinks about you, he's not wavering. He's not going, well, yes, no, you know, I'm not really sure. Depends on what side of the bed I wake up on. God's answer to you is always yes. And if you were to ask God, God, do you want a relationship with me? He would say yes. God, do you love me? Yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Do you want the very best for my life? Yes. Will you take me back, God? Yes. Even, but even after, yes. You don't have to wonder if God's going to say yes to you or not. That just like I knew that Sarah was going to say yes before I even asked, you can know that God is going to say yes to you as well. But all this raises an important question. And the question is then, well, why bother? I mean, if I knew Sarah was going to say yes, why go through all the trouble? Why rent a U-Haul truck, buy 50 red roses, set fireworks off over the lake? I mean, if you know she's going to say yes, why not just send a text message? <laughs> I'm ready to get married when you are, you know, text me back. <laughs> send me an emoji or something like that, you know, thumbs up. Here's the reason why I planned an elaborate proposal. It wasn't because I wanted to twist Sarah's arm into saying yes to me. I planned an elaborate proposal because I loved her. In the same way, you might say, well, if, if God's going to forgive me, if God loves me no matter what, if, if his answer to me is yes, well, then why would I bother to obey him? I mean, why not just sin and do whatever I want to do? Why would I bother coming to church? Why would I bother to read my Bible? Why would I bother to obey God? I mean, he, he loves me anyway. He's going to forgive me anyway. The reason is that we don't obey God so that we can twist his arm into saying yes to us. We obey God because we love God. Paul says, you know God's answer to you is going to be yes. 
The question is, will you say yes to him? In fact, just a few verses later in that same chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, all the promises of God find their yes. There's our word again. Find their yes in him. Did you know that in the Bible there are 7,457 promises that God makes to us? And all of them are God's yes. That God says that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he promises he will save us. He will cleanse us. He will forgive us. He promises to always be with us and never to leave us or forsake us. He promises to resurrect us from the dead one day. All the promises of God find their yes in him. But here's the deal. The only way to gain access to those promises, the only way to receive those promises into your life is when you say yes to God. So here's my question for you today. Have you said yes to God? Maybe a better way of saying it is, have you said yes to God's yes to you? Or is there a part of your life where you've said mm, no or you know, not right now? Yes, God. I mean, uh, yes, God, but no, I'm not gonna forgive that person because they really hurt me. Yes, God, but no, I'm not gonna stop lying to that person, cheating on that person or over drinking. I mean, yes, God, but no, I'm not gonna break up with my boyfriend who's not a believer. Yes, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, except I'm not going to go there. Ever since the beginning of time, this has been a struggle for human beings. In the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve, and he came to them and he said, you are free. You are free to eat from any tree that you want to in this garden. And Adam took one look at Eve and he said, yes, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do, except I won't. I won't stay away from the one tree that you have forbidden me to eat from. And so Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree. Sin enters into the world. God comes back into the garden. And what do Adam and Eve do? They hide. There are some of us here today who are still hiding from God. A couple years ago, I was weeding a flower bed at my house, and I took a big stack of weeds across the street, and I dumped them into the weeds. There's just tall grass over there, and so I dumped it uh, into that. And honestly, I didn't know if this was my neighbor's property or if this was government-owned wetlands, but I figured it's just dumping it in some weeds, and my previous neighbors had never minded anyway. But that year, we had gotten some new neighbors, and they, I had not met them before, but about 10 minutes after I dumped these weeds, I heard the wife of these new neighbors, and she yelled up to the house of her, to her husband. She goes, hey, who dumped these weeds over here? And that was kind of the tone of voice she said it in. And so I was in my garage at the time, and so I ducked behind my minivan. And I was looking out from behind my minivan, and I couldn't hear what her husband said in response, but I saw her look over at our house. And so I knew that she knew. And so I did what my ancestors did. I hid. <laughs> I, I'm not proud of this, but I ran into the house. I pulled the shades. I put on a quick movie for the kids. I said, whatever you do, don't answer the door or make a noise. <laughs> but my plan did not work. Because my 12-year-old son, Micah, was outside playing basketball in the driveway, 
And he just threw me under the bus. I mean, he didn't cover for me at all. He just walked inside. He said, Dad, the neighbor's here. She wants to talk to you. So I'm walking to the door, and I'm thinking to myself, why do you care? I dumped weeds in the weeds. And this is so far from your house, I wasn't even sure if it was your property. But that by the time I got to the door, I knew what I needed to do. I knew I needed to apologize, take responsibility, and then go get my wheelbarrow and take the walk of shame across that street. <laughs> Isn't this the age-old game that we play with God? That we sin, we hide from God, we justify our sin, and we say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Why do you even care about this, God? I'm not necessarily hurting anyone else. Well, what's the big deal? We justify it. And then we feel shame. We wake up one morning or the next day and we feel this deep sense of shame and guilt. And so then what do we do? We try to hide from God even more and push him out of our life. Happens with neighbors, it happens with God. By the way, if you have an addiction or if you're coming out of an addiction, that cycle should sound familiar to you. That, that we give into the addiction, we try to hide from other people and from God, we justify what we're doing, and then we feel this deep sense of shame and want to hide again. But what if you knew you didn't have to hide anymore? What if you knew that you could come before God and his answer to you would be yes? Yes to new life. Yes to a fresh start. Yes to forgiveness. Paul says, you know God's answer to you is going to be yes. The question is, will you say yes to him? See, I think there are three areas of our lives where each of us, we need to say yes to God. And I truly believe that if you will say yes to God in any one of these three areas, it will change your life. Here's the first area we need to say yes to God. We need to say yes to who God says that you are. Too many of us live our life not based on who God says that we are, but based upon who other people say that we are. I was with my sixth grade son this past winter, and we were waiting for his basketball game to start. And so we were watching this other sixth grade team play while we were waiting to go on, and all of a sudden, this dad who was sitting behind me, he yells out to his son on the court. He goes, Andre, why don't you stop being soft? for just once in your life. And I looked out at Andre, and he didn't look like he loved the game of basketball that much, but he was trying his best. And here's his dad yelling out over the whole gym, calling him soft. Andre looked back at his dad with the saddest, most embarrassed look on his face. I told my wife later, I said, that's one of the harshest things that a dad can say to his son. Because basically what that dad was telling him was this, I don't respect you, you're weak. I'm not proud of you, you embarrass me. I don't believe in you, you don't have what it takes. Now what do you think it's gonna be like to be Andre growing up like that? To be 30 or 40 years old and to look back on your life and go, I'm soft. I mean, I always have been, I always will be. But I guess I'm just soft. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you have lived with a label your entire life. 
that when you think about yourself, you go, I'm just soft. I'm just weak. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm a failure. I'm a mistake. I'm just not very good with people. I've just never been good in those kinds of situations. We label ourselves, don't we? How do you shed those old labels? Well, I only know one way, and that is let your creator tell you who you are. See, if I were to bring some gadget up here on stage, and you had never seen it before, we might have some guesses as to what it is and, and how we would label that thing. But if I brought the inventor, if I brought the creator of that gadget out, that would settle it. Do you know what your creator says about you? The Bible says that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are more than conquerors. That you're not soft. You are more than a conqueror. It says that you are his child. You say, you know what? I've never had a good relationship with my parents or maybe I've never even met my father. Well, the Bible says that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a perfect heavenly father. He loves you. He's proud of you and he created you. You are his child. Says that you are a new creation. That no matter what you did in the past or what was done to you, you are a brand new creation in Christ. Says that you're loved. Some of us have been spending our whole lives looking for love. And we've had several failed relationships or marriages and still there's this void in our life. You need to hear today that there's a God who loves you. And when you put your faith in Christ, nothing can separate you from that love. It says that we are citizens of heaven. It says that we are righteous and holy. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are chosen by God. We are a friend of God. That of all the galaxies and stars that God created, that God would look at you and say, you are my friend. And that we are God's workmanship. Notice that failure and mistake, they, they didn't make that list. What if you woke up every day this week and you reminded yourself of who God says that you are? That as you're wiping the sleep from your eyes, that you just say, you know what? I am a child of God, bought at the highest price. And my value and my self-worth, it's not gonna come from my performance today. My value and self-worth, it's gonna come from the fact that I am loved by God and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. I'm chosen, I'm set apart. I have the same spirit in me that rose Christ from the dead. That's who I am. Some of us need to remind ourselves of who our creator says that we are. And we need to step away from the labels of what other people have said that we are. I was talking to my wife a few months ago and she was saying, you know, I feel so down about myself lately. She said, I, I really want to be organized, and I'm just not. I, I've read books on this. I've read blogs about being organized. I see other women who are extremely organizational. But no matter what I seem to do, I'm just so unorganized. And, and I've been trained as a husband. I, I know what you're supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to smile. Oh, that sounds so hard. I feel so bad for you. You're just supposed to listen. You're not trying to fix the problem. But there's this little voice in the back of my head that's just going, who cares? That when God created you, did he say, thou shalt be tidy and organized? That when God created my wife, did he say, I am making you my decluttering and organizational princess? No, he didn't say that. 
Sometimes we get so caught up in what this world values. In fact, let me ask you, what makes you feel good about yourself? If I were to ask you, finish this sentence, that when you feel good about yourself, what is it that makes you feel that way? How would you respond? Some of you would say, well, it's my muscles. I'm not one of those people who would say that, but you'd say, it's my muscles, it's my physique, it's my weight, it's my figure. When people notice that, that's when I tend to feel good about myself. Some of you would say, it's my success. It's the money I have, the power I have, you know, the position I have, or the job I hold. There's, there's a lot of respect that comes along with that. You would say, you know, it's, it's my popularity in school or my performance in sports, that that's when I tend to feel good about myself. Some of you would say it's your relationships, it's who you're dating, it's who you're married to, it's, it's your kid's performance in some area of life. Every one of those that I just mentioned can be taken away from you like that. Far better to find your value and self-worth in life based on what your creator says about you because that is something that can never be taken away. Here's what I would love each of us to do this week. I would love for you to read the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. There's six chapters in Ephesians. You could read one chapter a day for the rest of this week. And as you read it, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who does God say that I am? I know who my parents said I was. I know who the kids at school growing up said that I was. But, but who does God say that I am? Because some of us need to say yes to that. Second area of our life that we need to say yes to God in is we need to say yes to what God tells us to do. So we need to say yes to who God says we are, but we also need to say yes to what God tells us to do. I love how Pastor Adam Weber says it in his book, Talking to God. He says, one of the clearest ways that I can see if someone's growing in their relationship with God is that that person's willingness to say yes to God. He goes on, he writes, to big things, to small things, and particularly to things that don't make sense or out of one's comfort zone. Towards the end of my sophomore year of college, I started to sense that God was asking me to transfer. And I was very resistant to that idea because I was comfortable where I was at. I mean, I knew where the cafeteria was. I knew how the library worked. I was just comfortable there. But during that time, I was reading a devotional book by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. And in there, Chambers has an entry titled, Yes, but, and he says that unfortunately, that's how a lot of us approach God. Yes, God, I'll do whatever you want, but. Yes, God, I'll go wherever you want, but. And Chambers says instead, here should be our approach to God. He says, Jesus Christ demands that you risk everything that you hold on to and leap by faith into what he says. Now, let me just give you a moment to process that. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying that sometimes there are areas of our life where we're going, mm, God, I'm, I'm comfortable here. I am not. But if you will take a risk and you will take a leap of faith into what God tells you to do, that you will look back on it and you'll go, oh, now I understand. And so when I read that in that devotion, I did something that at that point in my life I had never done before. I took a leap of faith. I said, God, I don't understand it. I don't feel comfortable with it, but, but I am just going to take this risk. And I looked back and I realized one of the best decisions I could have made. 
Let me ask you, is there an area of your life where God is just waiting for you to say yes with no buts attached? Can, can you think of an area like that in your life? See, for some of us, it's the start that stops us. What I mean is you're having a hard time getting started, but for some of us, you just need to start. You need to start school. You need to start rehab. There are some of us who this week, you need to say, I'm gonna start rehab. I know I need to do it. I, it's been for a long time. I've been pushing back on God. I'm gonna start this week. Some of you need to start the relationship. Some of you need to start writing that book. Some of us need to start coming to church on an every week basis so we can hear from God or reading the Bible on a daily basis. You just need to start. Some of us need to start exercising. Some of us need to start saving or giving money. You just need to start. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. But you say, well, it's just a small little book. It's just a small project. Just a small little money I was going to try to save or give. It's, it's just a small you know, amount of exercise or whatever. God says, do not despise the small beginning. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. This past year, I had five things I wanted to start. I said I want to start exercising on a daily basis. I want to start taking a prayer walk around my neighborhood, just a quick walk at night, just to develop intimacy in a prayer life with God. I said, I want to start writing a book. I want to take my kids on a missions trip, and I want to have a time at night with my kids where I'm just teaching them the Bible. But I was having a hard time getting all five of those started. So I said, I'm going to take it one at a time. So I started having a time before bed with my kids where I would just try to teach them the Bible and what it means to follow Christ. And one night we were reading from 1 Timothy, and it says that God has equipped us for every good work. And I thought, you know, I bet you my kids they wouldn't know how to lead another person to Christ. That if somebody at their school came up and was like, hey, how do I become a Christian? How do I become saved? That they would not really know how to answer that question. So I started teaching them this thing called the Romans Road. It's four verses in the book of Romans that can help you have an understanding of how you come to faith in Jesus Christ. A couple months after I did this, my oldest son, as a project at school, he had to write a letter to a person in prison. And most of the other kids in his class were just, you know, hey, keep your head up. It's, it's going to be all right. You're going to make it. My son wrote out the Romans road, these four verses. And I said to him afterwards, I said, well, why did you do that? And he said, Dad, because I want this man to know that he can be saved. I feel like of all the things that I could tell him, that's what he needs to know right now in prison is that God's not done with him yet and that. God can save him. A few weeks ago, actually just two days ago, my son got a letter back from this man. He's the only one in his class who got a letter back. And the guy said, thank you for those verses in Romans. He said, I've been starting to read the Bible. I've been going to a Bible study. I'm here in prison on a DUI, but I'm starting to believe that God's not done with me yet. And I thought, I'm so glad we started I'm so glad we didn't say, well, we're not doing this every night of the week. Why are we even bothering? I'm so glad we didn't say, you know, the kids, they goof off half the time during the prayer. They're not even paying attention. Why am I doing this? I'm so glad we just started. What is it in your life that God is just waiting for you to start, where God is waiting for you to say yes to what he's been telling you to do? Here's the third area of your life. You need to say yes to God. You need to say yes to the gift that God wants to give. 
My wife volunteers at our Lina Lakes campus on Wednesday nights. She leads a student ministry group of sixth grade girls. And as you can imagine, conversation with sixth grade girls gets rather entertaining at times. So one time they were having a serious conversation about God, and this girl raises her hand and she goes, if a black lab were thinking about God, would he be picturing another black lab? It's like, oh, deep thoughts with Jack Handy. You know, this is just <laughs> kind of where their brain is going somehow. But one night, they had this conversation, and one of the girls said, well, wait a minute. If somebody's really moral, and they love their family, but they just happen to not believe in Jesus, are they really not going to heaven? And someone else said, well, yeah, and what if someone's really mean, and they're cruel, but then they believe in Jesus at the end of their life? Are they going to go to heaven? And it's not just sixth grade girls who have these questions. I had an email exchange with a college student. He said, well, what about a good Muslim? I mean, they're going to go to heaven, right? Now, let me just be the first to say that I'm not the judge. God is the one who judges people's eternity. And so I never say, well, this person's going to heaven. This person's not. But God has been very clear about this. See, I mentioned earlier the Romans wrote. Here's the first verse in the Romans wrote. It's Romans 3.23. Says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which means that there's not one person here who can go, hey, I'm, I'm a good person. I mean, check out my resume, God. I, I'm, I'm a really good person. I've earned my way in. That every single one of us would have to say, you know what? I have sinned and I have fallen short of the glory of God. It's because good is a subjective term. When I say to you, I'm a good person, I mean, I'm good compared to you. When, you, when I say you're a good person, I mean, you're good compared to them. We're comparing ourselves to other people. But if we compare ourselves to God, who's perfect, we would all have to step back and go, you know, I'm, I'm not a good person. Which is why the Bible says no one's good, no, not one. And there's consequences for our sin. The next verse in the Romans Road says, the wages of sin is death. A wage is something you earn, something you've deserved. And our sin has earned us the wage of death. But look at the next part of this verse. It says, but the gift of God. That's why I titled this point that you need to say yes to the gift that God wants to give. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you get a gift? You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You simply receive it. Let me try to illustrate this for you. Some people think of heaven like it's a country club. And they think you gotta earn your way in. You gotta do enough good deeds, be a good enough person, and then maybe you can work your way into heaven. But the problem is heaven isn't a country club. You can't earn your way in. You, you don't deserve to get in. The wages of sin is death. But God says, I love you so much. I am sending my son, Jesus Christ, and he's gonna do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He's going to take the penalty that you deserve. He's going to overcome death. It's through Jesus that we gain access to heaven. A couple months ago, I got an email from a guy named Mark Maurer. And Mark goes to our church, loves our church. His brother is Ken Maurer, who is the longest tenured referee in the NBA. And so Mark started to share our Eaglebrook messages with Ken and his wife. And they love him. They love our church, watch our church weekly. And so Ken reached out to me via email, and he said, hey, next time I'm in town to referee a Timberwolves game, why don't you bring your two boys down, and I can get them on the court before the game and introduce them to the players. So 10 minutes before the game starts, Ken Maurer comes out of this tunnel, kind of signals for us, and we go walking down the bleachers. 
And as we get to the court, the security guard goes, where are you going? You can't just walk out on the court with all the players out there. And Ken reached over and goes, you know, they're with me. And this was such a gift to my boys because five minutes before the game started, we were talking to Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy was so engaging. He was like, how old are you? What grade are you in? He was asking all these questions. I'm like, Jimmy, get your game face on, okay? <laughs> Got the Milwaukee Bucks in five minutes. I don't care about this. Con get ready for the Bucks, right? But then we got to meet Carl Anthony Towns. And we got to meet Tyus Jones, who is my son Hudson's absolute favorite basketball player. And then afterwards, we got to go in this behind the tunnel back to the referee's locker room. And there was all this free food that they have back there for the referees. My kids are just loading up their pockets. They're like, let's go, Dad. And when we got in the car, my boys turned to me and said, Dad, that was one of the best nights of our life. Let me ask you, how did we gain access to that locker room? Why were we able to walk on the court past the security guard? It's because we knew Ken Maurer. It's because we were with Ken Maurer. One day, you and I are going to have to stand before God and give an account of our life. And I'm just going to tell you what my plan is. You, you might have your own plan, but here, here's my plan. I'm not going to stand before God and go, hey, look, God, check out my resume. I mean, I was in church like almost every week. I gave money. I tried to be a good person. I was a pretty decent husband, father. You know, I was moral, loved my family. I mean, come on. Of course, I've earned my way in, right? That's not my plan. My plan is to fall face down before God. And then I'm going to point to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go, I'm with him. I know him. That is how I hope to gain access to heaven. The final verse in the Romans road is Romans 10, 9. It says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, if you'll say yes, if you'll say, yes, God, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and did for me what I could not do for myself. Yes, God, I receive this gift of salvation into my life, if you will say yes. Paul says, you know God's gonna say yes to you. The question is, will you say yes to him? I was watching the memorial service for Billy Graham, and at one point his daughter got up and spoke, and she told a story about her father. And I want you just to see this short one-minute video, and then I'll come back up. I have learned this week as never before that everybody has a Billy Graham story, but I have my own Billy Graham story. Being stubborn, willful, and sinful. I married a man on New Year's Eve, and within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I gonna do? And let me tell you, you women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. <laughs> I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me, and he said, welcome home. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no condemnation, just unconditional love. 
And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. That's what God is like. Some of you say, you know, my, my father, he would, he would never have done that. He would have yelled at me. He would have been angry at me. He would have filled me with shame. I want you to hear today that there's a perfect heavenly father. And his answer to you is yes. That he loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And his answer to you is yes. The question is, will you say yes to him? So right now, I want to lead us in a prayer. And you can remain seated at all of our campuses, but this will be an opportunity for some of you to say yes to God, maybe in that area of your life where you have been resistant. That today is your day to take that risk. And say, God, my answer is yes. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that your answer to us is yes. You don't waver about us. It's not yes and no, it's yes. But God, there are some of us here today who we need to say yes to you. Some of us need to say yes to the gift that you have wanted to give us, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. God, right now in the quietness of our mind, we say, yes, Lord, I believe. I receive that gift of salvation. I understand why it's not just being a good person that will save me, but that it's faith in Jesus Christ because he did something that I couldn't do for myself. And it's through him that I gain access to you and to eternal life. God, would you give me that gift right now? I say yes. God, there are others of us who we know you've been telling us to do something. We, we just know it. Today, God, would you give us the courage and strength to say yes? There might be a lot of fear. There might be a lot of like, oh God, I could never do that. But Lord, right now in this moment, we say yes to what you've been telling us to do. And God, some of us need to say yes to who you say we are. We lived our whole life with a label. And today, God, we just embrace what our creator says about us, how you have labeled us. And we say yes to that. We thank you that you are a God who your answer to us is yes. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, as you heard your campus pastor say, you can text the word believe to 555-888. You can stop off, talk to one of our pastors. Got some resources for you. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.